Dynasty Think Tank. I'm Chad Parsons. He is Gordon McNamara, and we share our research, experience, and acumen to build dynasty winners and unlock ceiling outcomes. Now is the time to seek elite results. Coming out of the NFL playoffs, uh, there's obviously plenty of negative stories, but I think two rising quarterbacks, two rising phoenixes to uh, rise up their fan, uh, their franchises, and you have to be feel bullish. They're in the final four of their conferences. You have C.J. Stroud, you have Jordan Love, and pairing them together in dynasty. It's tough to have a good gauge of how high is too too high for dynasty startup team builds. Obviously, they're rising above expectations where Stroud was going in mid first. Jordan Love, at various points of his waiting time in Green Bay, was being left for dead. Both of them seeing their first extended playing time here in 2023 with big time results and already a win under the belt in the playoffs. Yeah, I had some props of Jordan Love, like over 300 and Green Bay to win. And he threw it 21 times. And I'm like, there's just no way. And he almost got there with 272. Um, just just seems like a bad beat there. Um, has a great game, right? And, and you know, uh, Romeo Dobbs is great. Um, yeah, Houston, you get a great game out of CJ Stroud. Um, you know, both these guys have been coming on second half of the season. Uh, after it's funny because the narrative on both of them preseason uh, was not great. Uh, and they've both really come on, I think, beat any expectations that people had of them coming in. So I find them really um, interesting as, as a, uh, you know, as, as parallel arcs, if you will, uh, of rising at the quarterback position. Um, <laughs> someone offered me today, Dak Prescott for Jordan Love straight up. And it's a team where I don't have a quarterback need. Um, it's a Mahomes-Allen team. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking. And I'm like, well, isn't every answer to that usually Dak Prescott? But in this rare scenario where I don't have a need, right, and I don't have to worry about really banking production out of, Jordan, out of that quarterback spot, or relying on production at a quarterback spot, having the asset that could potentially be a top six or seven guy um, at the position seems like the right answer. And I cannot believe that um, <laughs> we're here, right. With Jordan love that he's the guy in that conversation. We're like, you know, I don't know, like this, I don't, this might not be the top and he's at quarterback 10, you know? So I just, it's a really interesting and surprising trajectory and arc for him. Um, and I think, I think maybe the lesson that I've learned is like, don't sell, like don't get caught selling it like a middle. Cause that feels like right now, like this feels like going into this off season is going to be one where, you know, he's going to continue to rise. Um, and I would just be kind of careful about selling right now, thinking you're selling at the top of the market. Yeah, it seems, it seems nutty, but I think beyond Allen and then Mahomes in startup drafts, I would say, or in valuations, don't be surprised with you seeing anything. Right. I mean, someone sits there at 103, 104 and they take Stroud or they take Love. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that, that someone says, I'm going to be ahead of this, quote unquote, ahead of this. Right. You know, but really you're, you're kind of pricing out some of your ceiling there because you have no outs. Now, it's, it's a different story if you draft, you know, one of those guys and it's like 111, you know, or but now they're trending towards not being there at all. I, I keep going back to this, that Green Bay has historically done a good job drafting non round one wide receivers. But what they just built 
And again, either way, this is good news for Jordan Love. Either they hit, you know, high-end outcomes on so many of these non-round one wide receivers. I mean, if you're not following Green Bay, the Bo Melton story, the Dontavian Wicks story, they're getting actual impact from these guys that were like deep in these classes. Who was, I mean, Dontavian Wicks may be super deep sleeper, but no one was saying like, watch this. He's going to actually tilt some of these games for the Green Bay Packers when they have Christian Watson in the shop or if Jaden Reed's not having a good game. I mean, they've hit strong outcomes on all, Romeo Dobbs has had some better games this year than last year. So either it's Jordan Love is the point guard and making all this happen and making these guys their peak powers, or he's surrounded by really good rookie contract wide receivers and tight ends. And that bodes really well for him to have a really good run of the next two, three years, cost controlled everything around him. So either way, it's good news. I can't go. I don't know about this, Jordan. And we always talk about sample size. How long until you say, well, that's, you can't fake that. Like that's impossible to fake. And Jordan Love, 21 over one his last nine games and here's the other thing i always say well let's go to the big time throw ratio is that a little fluky because the thing i pointed out about cj stroud early on was hey it probably isn't this good because he had what one interception no interceptions or something Mm -hmm. in his early on but yet his big time throw ratio uh which is more how you're playing was not as good well gordon love 24 over seven in big time throw ratio over that span 3.0 plus is ridiculous. And that's since week 10 in these pivotal must win games, plus a postseason game, Dak Prescott's the only guy over that span with 20 plus big time throws, the Mm -hmm. only other one. So, I mean, this seems like this whole, like, uh, you know, guys pop up, they play well. Number one, I would ask, do they play this well? And number two, this seems like a big enough sample size. You can't fake this. This is not like some mirage scenario. Up and downs and and waves of production happen for quarterback. But it seems like the, is he legit or not legit? It feels like that question has been answered. Now, to what degree you view legit and how high you go is a different question. But the, this is a mirage and it's all going to come crashing down to earth next year. I don't know, optically, the numbers, none of this really points to some huge, massive regression, and Jordan Love is suddenly not good next year. Yeah, um, I think the expectation's interesting, right? Like, I would sort of, you know, you think about Jordan Love, um, the player that kind of comes to mind for me in terms of, you know, unexpected breakouts a little bit later, kind of um, unorthodox trajectory, would be Geno Smith. And you look where Geno Smith was last year, Basically, all the advanced metrics on him are basically the same, right? I mean, the PFF grade, you know, some of those advanced numbers you were talking about, you know, your big time throw rate, turn worthy play rate, like those things have largely remained consistent. His fantasy production is just down. And so I kind of wonder, like, is, you know, I think Jordan Love's capable of a lot and you watch him throw the ball and you're like, there's not a ton of guys that can throw it like that. There might be five. Um, with with some of the the arm stuff that he is capable of, um, but I do wonder if you are betting into him right now. Are you, you know, I I think this is a a player that you know could go into next year, and things just don't go as well, right? Maybe he even plays better, but the output just isn't as good, right? That would be kind of my concern on him. So on one hand, I would say, like, I would be careful about selling him right now. 
that isn't to say that I'm holding him forever. It was just to say that, like, I think that, you know, maybe the off season is a better time. You get into the off season a little bit more. That might be a better time to sell him. And if you're kind of worried about some of the things that that we discussed and you're saying, you know, it, you know, is this is the performance matching the fantasy expectation? Right. Is is that happening? Yeah, is that something that we expect to continue? Right. That's 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 the question. Right. Do we really expect Jordan Love to have the second highest expected touchdown number in the league? Right? Is that something that we expect? And maybe the answer is yes, with some more study. That seems high to me. That seems high. Um, so that's kind of the thing that I would come come into this with, especially with guys like, you know, Melton and, and Dobbs. And, and it's just it isn't a situation where you would have come in and say, yeah, he's going to have a top five number and expect a touchdown number. You just wouldn't have thought that. So I kind of have to recalibrate that a little bit in my mind, if that makes sense. Yeah. And the thing we always say with rising profiles like this is you now have a lot of options. You know, you just mentioned you know, as a buyer, you have potential options, but if you have Jordan Love, I mean, you are now closer than ever before to options like Justin Herbert or Lamar Jackson or Mahomes or Allen. Like you are close to where six months ago you were not close, you know, near far. <laughs> we're going to play Sesame Street. You were you were far and now you're near. Um, and that is always the most alluring thing to me is how close are you? And and again, CJ Stroud, and we'll, we can kind of blend this in uh, with Nico Collins, which is another one of our big thoughts for the week and, and kind of coming out of the, the game, is CJ Stroud at 1.35, 1.40. That's an above average uh, big time throw ratio, but it's not elite. It's not historic. But here's the thing. He looks the part and he's checking the box. And so checking the box as a rookie quarterback, I would just caution people like again so he doesn't look quite as good in that versus his touchdown interception ratio uh, and that was something that was prevalent uh, about you know month month and a half into the season as well um, but again Stroud looks the part changed a franchise that frankly didn't have a lot going for it uh, in the offseason until hey well what if they get quarterback right mm -hmm. uh, and I mean look how he changed the, so I always wonder and, and this is part of the the Nico Collins uh discussion which is you know tank dell nico collins are these just graphically good mid-round wide receivers non-first rounders that cj stroud is benefiting from or is stroud the type of lid lifter that he is making elite players out of merely good players you know so i think so the other thing we we're going to discuss is how confident or nervous we should be about nico collins i i think you know in terms of He's a little older. Uh, the contract in terms of where he is in that spectrum, is Houston going to keep building on offense and build in a graphic way that maybe supersedes someone like Dell and Collins? So where do you sit with that? And is it, you know, chicken or egg, you know, in terms of what's changing in Houston versus not changing? So um, my favorite metric to identify wide receivers is targets per open route run, right? And that is how often are you targeted on routes where it isn't a contested target, right? So that strips out your contested target guys. And this is a really sustainable metric year over year. Um, and it's something that I consistently come back to. Uh, and the good guys elevate and you see it, right? This is not a, and, and this is a place that identifies good wide receivers. The uh, number one guy in this is, is Tyreek Hill by, orders of magnitude. Uh, he's at 32.6% of his non-contested routes he's targeted on, which is an absurd number. The next highest is actually CD lamb at 25.4%. So again, that is just 
orders of magnitude different. Okay. Um, do you want to guess who the third guy is? And then we're talking about guys who have run more than 200 routes. Oh, I was going to say John Mechie until you had you at the end there. Sorry, who have run uh, more than 10 routes per game. <laughs> who have run more than 10 routes right, per game. Probably Nico Collins. It is not. It's actually Bo oh. Melton, <laughs> which oh, is yeah. fascinating, That's right? right. Yeah, um, Nico yeah. Collins is ninth. And let me just read to you the other names in this. Devontae Adams, Jalen Waddell, Keenan Allen, Rasheed Rice, Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, Nico Collins, and then Puka Nakua. Right? Yep. No frauds. <laughs> no frauds. And I just, I keep coming back to that. Like you look at his metrics and that looks like an elite wide receiver. And I don't know, as I sit here right now, um, I, I, I don't fall in love with young wide receivers. It's not something that I do. I <laughs> cannot for the life of me understand how this guy's wide receiver 22 in dynasty. I can't, I can't. I just, I can't. It's a typo, right? Yeah, it's a typo. There's, there's a, there's one of the, you know, the first one in that should be, uh, the first two in that should be a one, right? It's kind of like where I come back to like, in what world is Debo Samuel better than Nico Collins? Because I can't find one, right? In what world is T Higgins or, you know, DJ Moore or Jackson Smith and Jigba, right? What world would I take Diggs over Nico Collins? I wouldn't. Right. And I don't, again, I am not a fall in love with wide receivers guy. Um, but you come back and you look at what Nico Collins has done and the quarterback that he's attached to. And you can really start going up and saying, all right, like you can have a conversation. I'm just using fantasy calc as a, as a resource for this. But Waddle's at 12, Devonta Smith's at 11, Brandon Ayuk is at 10. Right. You can have that conversation with with Nico Collins up to that point. Right. Puka's at nine, Alave, Wilson. If those guys are younger, um, I think maybe those are a little bit better profiles. But that's the type. That's more the conversation that Nico Collins belongs into as opposed to being behind Tank Dell. Right. I just I can't you know, he's in a he's in a spot where, you know, he's with a bunch of guys that are either unproven rookies or older vets. And that's just not the appropriate spot for for what was a top 10 guy in points per game. Yeah, I, I mean, when, when you start looking at, like you said, efficiency of getting targets, efficiency of producing with the targets, um, he was right around 16 points per game this year. And when I start looking at indicators for who is going to produce at that level, which is usually, you know, somewhere between wide receiver 10 and 15 on the year is 16 points per game, somewhere in that zone. And the point is auto start player uh, that has ops, obviously upside beyond that. And he has all the things you're looking for, you know, high efficiency gains the targets. Uh, and again, he's not an older player that you would project uh, fall off. Even if you were worried about that type of thing, he's right in the middle meaty zone of where you see highly dense, do it again, do it again, do it again. You know, especially if you have the quarterback connection, uh, you have Tank Dell there, who is a, a subsized player that probably isn't going to be. You know, he was a shade down. You know, a, a shade down, and and we already have that data point of them coexisting in in a way that they were both eating. But Nico Collins is the guy you want. You know, in terms of of yards per route run and gaining targets and, and producing on the fantasy byline. So, um, yeah, I, I, and here's the other thing. I think of it, you know, assume rational coaching that I think you would view it as you would probably be looking for, uh, for example, uh, Dalton Schultz is a free agent. Are they bringing him back? Like if they don't do that, I would think splashing tight end would be like, can you imagine Noah Fant on this offense? 
-hmm. like what he could possibly un unlock from a seam perspective with those deep end cuts going behind it with Nico Collins. So I just imagine uh, that tight end or a, or a more dynamic or more uh, big play oriented running back, if you are looking in terms of skill positions, that would be more important than let's go splash wide receiver again. We got two rookie contract guys, day two guys. Uh, I mean, Nico Collins has the alpha look. And so I'm not super worried because Nico Collins, again, let's go back to some of the things we said at quarterback. You don't really fake this. Like you can fake a 2.5, 3.0 yards per route run, but getting getting the targets and seeing the volume and maintaining that efficiency over a season is not really a fakeable thing. So especially when the puzzle pieces came where he was actually a legitimate breakout candidate based on quarterback play and things 12 months ago. And now he's realizing that. So again, I think this, like you said, 20 something, is that what you said? I mean, that's pretty laughable. Uh, that doesn't really make sense. I mean, he, he should be closer to eight than he is 20. I mean, that's not, and, and, and yeah, so I, I think Nico Collins is a don't really, especially when the market is as it is, you shouldn't really be that worried. He's 25 years old. He just had a, a breakout season. Um, the way I project him, 3.6 top 24 seasons remaining, which is really high. I mean, the guys that have more top 12 uh, projected seasons remaining than him, let's see. We got Jefferson, Chase, Lamb, Amon Ross St. Brown, and A.J. Brown. Mm -hmm. That's the list. That's it. Yep. So that's not the end all be all. That's one number, but it poises, you know, it basically points to this is repeatable and densely so. Yeah. And by the way, like he broke, like he broke out in these numbers too. Like he was a very, like I would say he was like pretty good coming into this year um, in terms of like the targets per route run and stuff. Like the yards the per route Mills. run wasn't that great. <laughs> right. The, the, the target number was actually pretty good. The yardage wasn't as good. And I, again, I would point to the quarterback there in that. Um, and, you know, but you still look and you're like, okay, like the contested, you know, the open route run number isn't huge. Like it's huge now. Like that's a massive step forward. Um, and yeah, I would, I would say, I think that's a coaching B a better quarterback and C him becoming a really, really high end player. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on him and I'm surprised that, you know, in a marketplace where people can't get enough young wide receivers, I'm stunned at where he's valued. Yeah. When usually that's a gravitational pull, uh, of dynasty owners, right. Correct. Um, all right. Uh, third big item for this show is, uh, what do we feel about Miami's current team situation? Uh, you know, is it, was this the peak, you know, and obviously, you know, we saw the, the dud game. It seems like they wanted to just grab a jacket, go inside, drink cocoa and be done with the game. Uh, five minutes after it started, it looks like they had no chance against Kansas city and they were walking wounded. We understand that, but I'll tell you, you know, this idea that I still remember it about Josh Allen and going to Buffalo or what kind of quarterback and these nasty, uh, areas for weather this time of year when the games matter most and you know two of going to miami it's like well that sounds like a great september october idea and then you better get a high seed you better get these home games they didn't and this is what you get those balls flutter uh it was ugly season and honestly i don't know if it gets better you look at what they have around him and is tyreek gonna stay healthy he was playing like as the weeks went on it's like man 
he's just not fully healthy. They missed a little time with Jalen Waddle, but they have a lot of controllable money right now. And in the next year or two, things are going to get uncontrollable. They're staring down the barrel of a Tua extension. And, you know, we talked about this and I don't know if it was on a, you know, it was on a Patreon show or if it was on a main show. We talked about this in the last like couple of weeks about how Tua is the league leader in passing yardage. And I come out of that and I'm not sure that I feel like (laughs) a lot better about him, which is wild. Right. Um, And I think if you like look at him after this game as well, like you're not feeling great about him. Um, You know, someone put out on Twitter, I think it was Charles McDonald put out on Twitter uh, within the past like couple of weeks, you know, who is Mike McDaniels? uh Matthew Stafford right and how McVay saw the limitations of golf and is that a scenario for um Tua right is that a scenario that Miami finds themselves in um and the name that I keep coming back to for everyone in that McVay Shanahan tree which Mike McDaniel falls right in Kirk Cousins is a free agent right and, you know, is, is Tua, you know, is Tua the guy you're going to hit your wagon to, or do you see Cousins as an off-ramp that raises your ceiling uh, before all of these things, you know, start coming due in terms of that, those long-term problems that you discussed, right? Um, I, I, I wonder, you know, if they're going to be in on Tua long-term, right? I think that's a real question for me, um, especially with how this ended can't believe that, like you said, leading the league in passing, uh, not having an injury. Uh, wasn't the stat, didn't you say there was like nine quarterbacks? There was without, nine quarterbacks that had started 17 games. Without won. resting, you know, without the over rest or whatever. Right. That, there was uh, three of them that them started that was 16 healthy. that were resting yeah. week the last week. Yeah. 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 Healthy, healthy all year. Who was on that list? Uh, I think we would have taken the under on that and, you know, and being productive. And yet the optics, the, the limitations of what he is and what he is not. Um, this this floored me while you were talking. I just wanted to see because sometimes it's up and sometimes it's not. Spot rack uh, with their projected market value. Uh, so you want to take a guess on Tua contract projected based on recent deals, similar age, similar trajectory, um, all of that. What they would project for a contract for Tua. Forty five million dollars. For how many years? Four. 45 over four, 45 over four. Yeah. All right. How about this? 50 billion a year over five years, five years, 255 essentially. Has to be a non-starter. You can't. Well, I just. When you look at, so I just looked up, I looked it up. The five, the four comps that, 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 that projection uses. Herbert, Kyler, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson. Which one of those players is not like the others? Because it's Tua doesn't fit in that conversation. And if you get baited into doing that, man, that's hard. That's a hard <laughs> that's a, that's a lot to want to be in on. Well, one thing, one thing on just to mention some of the bonus stuff we're doing um on, on Patreon, we're going through uh right now the non-playoff teams and we're doing 
uh, a courtroom basically of, of prosecution and defense for for these non-playoff teams and working our way through the NFL. And one one kind of conversation we said, which is how realistic are these teams about where they are? And it used to be what Joe Flacco and a few other quarterbacks of like, you know, these guys are not elite. You can't do this. You can't do that. And we all, it, we know though, NFL wise, it's tough to just not bottom out, but it's tough to reset. And so you get sucked into these quarterbacks that are somewhere in the middle, but at some point supply demand is you're going to at least feel like you have to pay them the big monster number. Cause I would venture this. Do you really think if they offer four for 120 to Tua, I mean, that turns into a Kirk Cousins in Washington situation where he laughs and says, you're hilarious. Mm-hmm. And that really burns bridges for future conversations. Even if, if that happens now, and then he pay, plays this next year on the fifth year tag, it, that does not elicit confidence that they were anywhere near. And I'm sure the Tua argument is, hey, we stayed healthy. We're the trigger man for this vibrant offense that you built. And, you know, we're here. We led the team in passing, for goodness sakes. What else do you want other than, hey, we were the walking wounded. We go into this playoff situation. We lost to Mahomes. Hey, uh, that a lot of teams do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our price is $50 million. Like, I, I have a feeling those two sides should be pretty far apart. And it probably should get untenable, right? I mean, what? I just don't know how this goes well if you start venturing up above 40 or even 35. Like, I don't know. I think it's a real dicey road of, like, you're buying teams that can maybe make the playoffs but do nothing else in the perfect storm. I just, it's tough. I get it, but I don't know if this is where you want to go. Is he a trade candidate? Right. Like uh, we're having this conversation where like, uh, do you want to pay him? He kind of comes back and balks at a number that's like well below what, you know, the metric side of this would, would submit like, okay, what's the trade market look like for him? Because there are teams like, and we say this all the time, like there's only like 20 to 25 true starting quarterbacks, like walking the face of the earth at any given moment. Uh, and right now with like a lot of the backups we saw, like we, we kind of see what a lot of like 35 through 50 looks like. Right. So two is certainly in that like top 25 guys walking around right now. And I wonder like if Miami has seen the limitations and, and want to go a different route again, it might be hard to do that. Like that's, we're just, we're speculating a little bit here, but you know, would teams like new England, Tennessee, Atlanta, Denver, Vegas, right? Would some of these teams be interested in Tua and what would that deal look like, right? Because that would be a a potential off-ramp for Miami if they didn't want to extend him. Like he's going to draw value uh, in a in a trade market because of the shortage of quarterback and the fact that like those teams specifically the ones not drafting in the top three or top two at getting one of the top two guys if they don't like the third quarterback or don't want to pay up for it like do they see Tua as an option that's substantially better because you could look at Atlanta and be like that makes a lot of sense for Atlanta like Tua is a huge floor raising proposition for Atlanta and he's going to play in a dome. Like 
you know, that division plays in a lot of homes. Uh, he's going to play at home in one, you know, and, and he's going to play in a lot of nice weather. Um, you know, and, and you, you worry kind of less about some of the, the things you worry about in the AFC East. Right. I just, it's an, it's, I don't know, maybe this is like the Justin Fields conversation that we had at the beginning of last year and that, you know, none of it ever really comes to fruition, but it does seem like there's a potential there for a to a trade that, you know, there could be a market on that has some different incentives in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Two is really tough. It seems like he's still overvalued in dynasty, you know, in the, the early teens there um, just because of some of these risk factors and you combine, you know, just to get it back all the way to player value that he's not a rushing option, which he basically to, to, to be viable or justify value. He kind of has to lead the league, you know? I mean, I just, I just picture these situations. I mean, he pretty much has to lead the league in, in yardage. Uh, he's got to be surrounded by these high leverage pieces. Tyreek Hill is going to make everyone look better. I mean, life without Tyreek, what is, what is, what does Tua look like? If Tua right now was superimposed with uh, Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, what would he have done this year? Wouldn't have been QB nine, <laughs> right. or QB ten. I mean, right. so I, I mean the the struggle factor, you know, with oh well, Kelsey's not separating as much, you know, or uh, you know, Rasheed Rice is coming along, he's dropping some balls, you know, like how does that go if you have Tua as opposed to someone else that's lifting the lid? So I I think, you know that. I, I think Miami is super interesting, but what you just mentioned is Atlanta is probably the best spot for him. You know, when you look at uh, how many good weather games and domes he's going to have and the fact that, you know, like talk about weapons around him, you know, and, and that's a team that could raise the floor and potentially win the division rather easily when you, when you look at having that level of quarterback play versus what they foresee. So, yeah. How about um, yeah, Ben Johnson a, in Atlanta with two at quarterback? <laughs> right. How's right. that? Hey, maybe maybe he is a top 15 dynasty quarterback if that happens. <laughs> maybe. Just maybe. Single digits, right. baby. Single digits. <laughs> we got Justin Jefferson up this weekend. Did I get enough? Uh, and we got wide receiver on wide receiver uh, prime. We've got Jefferson traded for Chris Olave, Jalen Waddle, and Calvin Ridley. Um, so this is interesting. Like, do you? what's your incentive to go three to one? Usually we don't like the three side of that. Um, you know, I, I think Jefferson's extremely good. Um, you know, he's the best, right? He's, he's people ask me like, you know, what's the top five wide receivers Je Jefferson tier break. And then the conversation begins. Right. Um, yeah, there's an argument there that you're getting, you're trading Jefferson for two top 10 guys. Right. You know, we just had this conversation about where Nico Collins fits. Like in that conversation, Waddle and Olave were in the range, which we were discussing that Nico Collins should be in. Right. So, you know, that's a, those are two top 12 guys. Um, if I am like not a super contender, I'm, I'm pretty interested in the Olave Waddle side of this and, you know, Ridley to an extent. I don't think he's, he doesn't do a lot for me, but, you know, maybe I can sort of flip you know, put him in a package to get me something better. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, ta you know, <laughs> I usually don't trade Justin Jefferson. Uh, I think to, you know, if I'm going to arb down receivers, almost always the position I'm going to do it in. And I think that this is the type of one that I would do, because I think there's actually, you know, I don't know if you're ever going to beat Jefferson with either of these two guys, but there's a real case to say that, Hey, I can have two top eight guys at the position. Like you could look forward a year from now and be like, they're basically right in that conversation. Yeah, I, I think you're getting Waddle and Olave at the right time. 
you know, you're they're, you're getting them coming off of, you know, relatively speaking, I mean, they didn't really hit expectations or peaks that would be expected for how good they've been. You know, I mean, we're talking about on the short list of guys. I mean, Olave for his career, 2.22 yards per route run. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, crazy good start, especially when you say he hasn't really been in the top 10 to 15 of the position yet. So that's just simmering and like, we're just waiting. Like it's AJ Brown, right? Like you're just kind of waiting for the convergence of the perfect storm of touchdowns and good enough quarterback play and the right targets and all that kind of stuff. Cause he's certainly producing. And then you have Jalen Waddle, 2.227 yards per route run for his career. And this is in over like seven games. Like mm -hmm. this is the two of the small subset of young wide receivers you would want Ridley, like, like you, I would immediately be thinking like, how am I repurposing him towards something else? Is that before free agency? Is that after he goes somewhere else? Like, what's the situation there? I'm trying to time that out and, and leverage that towards something else, maybe tight end, maybe a quarterback deal, whatever. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the one for two, you can justify it more at wide receiver, you know, than quarterback yes. or some of these other high leverage positions. So uh, again, this is like, if we were constructing the one for two, including Jefferson, again, we're, pretty much going to operate like what probably Nico Collins and upward, something like that, uh, like two of those guys. And we're probably doing it. And if the second guy is below that mark, we're probably not right. Yeah. It's kind of how I, I'm just kind of thinking about it Two top 10, top 11, top 12, wherever you have that line. Um, I think if you get two of those, you can make it work in the aggregate just to talk about Moneyball. You know that you know we're, we're replacing Giambi here, and Giambi is uh, Justin Jefferson. So it can be done at a position like first base or like wide receiver more so than saying you know I'm training Mahomes, I'm getting two quarterbacks. What do you want? And it's like well nothing, thanks. So I'll just I don't know. I'll just I'll figure something else out. Right, and, and um, but I do I think, think I do think Ridley, like as much as we're not super sold on him, like he's drawn some stuff in the trade market. Like there hasn't been a ton oh, yeah. of trades with him, but like Javante Williams and Kelvin Ridley for Mark Andrews and one point five PPR. Um, yeah, uh, him for basically Tajay Spears. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but those are the two principles of the trade. Like, you know, that's not nothing in terms of a trade for him. So, um, yeah, I yeah. mean, I think you kind of look at that and you say, all right, like the off-road of this trade isn't to keep these three guys. The off-road of this trade is, you know, maybe I keep two of them and I, I repurpose one of them to shore up, you know, a third lineup spot, right? Or, you know, is that is one of those guys going to package for a quarterback, right? Um, yeah. You know, kind of how you're arbing that. Like, I think you have a lot of optionality with this deal. And sometimes uh, the last point I'll say is it, it's it's important to have some of these pieces sometimes, especially if you get them in a trade, because let's say you're working a quarterback upgrade or a quarterback trade and you're like, OK, well, I'm selling a quarterback and maybe a first round pick. And you're like, but trying to get that other piece that's viable, that actually moves the needle a little, a little bit, but someone that you actually think is a is sellable and can act, and can do that action. Alvin Ridley is the type that could do that. And yet on your current existing roster maybe you don't have that piece uh whereas if you're sitting here you're like well yeah, that would be jefferson plus something like you're like well that's just too much you know so mm -hmm. ridley is kind of the perfect middle ground to to grease the wheels as being a third piece of a, of a much bigger deal to get an elite quarterback so um sometimes again like we're talking about the other two wide receivers a lot more spe specifically but uh, calvin ridley is one that has tangible trade value sure all right, we got a couple others here. These are quarterback-centric deals. Jordan Love for Tua and a second. Um, Jordan Love. For all the reasons. We I mean, discussed. if you're selling him, you should not be going down like no. this, right? No. I mean, don't go downward. 
someone asked me, uh, you know, would you put, you know, would you trade Jordan Love for like Bryce Young plus? Absolutely not. <laughs> like, you know, we talk about like when I wrote the dynasty team building guide, like one of the core principles of it was you go up at running, you go up at quarterback, you go up at tight end, right? You never sort of arb down receivers, the position you arb down on, right? You're willing to sort of move off of a high end wide receiver to someone down because of what it allows you to do. Um, and these two trades are great examples of that, right? The, the answer to Jordan love is not to a plus the answer to Jordan love is Jordan love plus for Mahomes or Herbert or Josh Allen, right? Like, well, just look at the, the risk that you're taking on. Let the other owner do that in the opposite deal that you just outlined, right? Yes. Like, I think a lot of people would agree Jordan Love is riskier than Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, but most people would agree, at least where we sit today, Tua is riskier than Jordan Love. Yes. And the second round pick, and you're doing it in a high leverage position. So I, I guess we would say, what are you doing here? I mean, why, why are you... This isn't taking on more risk at running back, you know, let's say, or something like that. Like you are doing it at one of the one or two most important positions in this format as Superflex. So absolutely be very, very careful with that. We have Trevor Lawrence uh, being divested from in our last deal this week. It's for Will Levis, Jaden Reed, and a 24 first. Qualifying question would be, what does that first have to look like? And then B, you know, how much does that move the needle? I mean, I think it's got to be like one or two. Um, you're just like, I, I don't, yeah. I look at, I look at Trevor Lawrence and like you and I can sort of hand ring about him. And I think he's instructive of a lot of the things that I'm going to caution people on Caleb Williams. Again, one of my bits, one of my things is I don't really study rookies until the last minute. Right. Cause uh, you know, and, and that's for a lot of reasons, but I know the hype on Caleb Williams is going to be enormous. Right going to be You're it is right it already is like he's minus like 835 to go yeah. quarterback one like that's an uh, that's an outrageous number um can i can i say a, can i say a jordan question that you yeah. would put in here if we were reversing roles i would say what do you think do you think the average person would say trevor lawrence 101 quarterback whether it's dynasty nfl put all these lenses on it has he been a success do you think most people would view trevor lawrence as a success a met expectation or disappointment it's funny you should say that because I actually asked this question recently on a um, – it was October. So I asked, uh, how do, how would you rate Trevor Lawrence's career to date? Missed expectation, met expectation, or exceeded expectation? Uh, 2% of people said exceeded expectation. 42% of people said met expectation. And 56% of people said missed expectation. Um, he was anointed. He was anointed as a point of reference. He was absolutely anointed. And, you know, like I, I thought that there was a lot of reasons to have questions about that, right, about him coming in. And, and you looked at his production profile and he didn't really do elite things, right? He was good from a really young age and then basically stayed that. But it didn't – it looked – you know, when you actually dug into it, it looked, you know, analytically at least – um really good on the cover but not the substance of it wasn't particularly elite um or wasn't really elite in any way um you know and i know the tape people liked him more um than maybe i did um but you know i'm always sort of cautious about those profiles that is all to say when you come back to this and you look at where he is right now like i feel better about where trevor lawrence is than tua 
And that that would seem odd coming out of this year. Um, but like I think that he's going to get treated as a as a franchise quarterback. I don't know if Tua is. Um, and that's probably, you know, and this is something that you harp on, you know, in a good way, right? The difference between one and five or six, right? Where where um two, you know, the range where Tua went. Um, right? That's a that's a difference in terms of the treatment that you get. And I think you see that difference in the difference between how people treat Lawrence and treat people treat Tua. Um, all that's to say, like, you can't you can't sell Lawrence for this. Like, you can't do that. Like, you you're guaranteed nothing on the other side. And even if the best you're guaranteed is like a maybe a more sexy version of Kirk Cousins over the next like three to four years out of Trevor Lawrence, like that's a much bigger guarantee than anything you're going to get on the other side of this deal. Like, there's a real chance that like they just fired Levis's head coach. Like, there's a real chance that like they draft someone and. We've seen like the apex of Levis's arc, right? That's not a risk that you can take in January. Yeah, um, that's got to be crazy high. And like you mentioned, with with a lot of those points, I will say one thing that I always I always remember, which is a common theme uh, listening to the athletic football show, where they really go into the the nitty gritty, especially of quarterback play and uh, what these offensive designs are, that the common theme over the past 12 to 24 months on Trevor Lawrence has been he, whether it's his own choosing when he's going through progressions or it's the design of the offense, he doesn't get a lot of easy button throws. You see plenty of quarterbacks that routinely through games, again, you still have to make the big time throws to be the big boy. Uh, you've got to, at some point, thread the needle and make that uns- that spectacular play. We understand that. But he his access to yards and completions are not as easy as a lot of these well-designed offenses. So you, either that is the design again, or is he choosing to go with the difficult uh, degree of difficulty throws? And so that's a blurry line. But just know that he's kind of, you know, producing or trying to produce or what he is producing is through advanced level goggles. You know, he's graduate school of what he's being asked to do. He's still a young quarterback. And so to say he can't progress through that or to say it's not an environment with easier yardage and access to these. I mean, again, some of Jordan Love, there's there's defensive breakdowns. Like that's a different environment, but there's big window throws that we've been seeing that designed by NFL offenses of late and, and in 2023 specifically. I mean, you're not getting a lot of that in Jacksonville. Just watch the consistency, the number of times where he's having to really level up uh, to complete these balls. So again, he might be doing that on purpose. That might be the design of the play. But um, that's just one thing that that on on an X's and O's front that I always hearken back to uh, thematically for for Trevor Lawrence. Um, and, And see, the problem is with Will Levis, I mean, the risk you're opening up, like you just said, um, where even if that's like a mid first or a higher first, it's a complete unknown. And Trevor Lawrence, here's the thing, you already accelerated to the point of minimizing the, well, he's a, he's a bust. Like the things Mm -hmm. we, we discuss with Trevor Lawrence is, is he elite or what is his ceiling in fantasy? And that's a different discussion than, is he going to get a second contract? Is he going to, you know, flame out? Will Levis, all that is on the table literally this offseason. Correct. <laughs> you know, Tennessee could li- literally and justifiably just go in a different direction. Trevor Lawrence is not on that trajectory at all. Um, so you're really pinning it on the pick alone. And that is super risky, even if 
you are getting 101, 102, quarterback one, quarterback two, quarterback three of this class, hyper risky uh, within the landscape of Trevor Lawrence as well. And don't you feel like, you know, just kind of to hit on Lawrence for a second, I think the the Calvin Ridley, um, Christian Kirk, uh, Evan Ingram sort of triad of that offense. Again, I, I like, I, I'm a huge, you won't find a bigger Evan Ingram guy than me. They lack, I mean, Trevor Lawrence grades out as a top five quarterback on deep balls, right? They lack that almost in a way that the chargers lack it for Herbert, right? Where they lack the guy that can, you know, that can change the dynamics deep. And it feels like if they could get that guy, again, it's hard to get that guy, right? I'm Captain obvious here. <laughs> like this isn't an easy fix, but if you could find a way to get that unlocked, it feels like you would really unlock Lawrence in a way that gets a lot higher ceiling. So that's one of the things that I kind of look at, like, and again, we've hit on Ridley a little bit here. We, we've touched on some themes in the show. Do they bring him back? Right. And does, is he that guy? You know, I don't know. Right. Like, I think it's an interesting, you know, as you kind of look forward, do you want this offense to continue to look in the way that it does, or do you need a different element um, I just I don't think they have the right sort of mix of guys. And again, it's 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 guys that aren't big touchdown scores either. Right. So you look like Evan Ingram has never been a big touchdown scorer. He's just never been a good red zone target. He's never been really used there. Right? Christian Kirk, like the, the red zone guy for this team in this era has been Zay Jones. And that's not um and before like a that, it was Marvin Jones. Like, if you're really, yeah, if you're really building out a passing game, I mean, Zay Jones is like, again, it's a discount rack of what you're kind of looking for. But ultimately, you want a more core level type of profile that's going to maintain, sustain, and even improve that um, as you go through the years. Uh, therefore, they were that, watching those games. Honestly, that's how I felt. That I was like, they're fortunate to have Zay Jones. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and and honestly, let's think if instead of Evan Ingram, what if they had a Sam Laporta type, right? What if they had freaking Jake Ferguson, like as a, uh, like plays a bunch of snaps as a second tight end, like, like you said, Evan Ingram is a different type of player, uh, you know, at tight end, in a, in good ways, but also like you said, the red zone presence is not really there. But what if they had um, Tank Easy Bell instead of Brenton Strange, at sixty one overall? Right. Like I think their offense would look very different. Yeah, I I didn't understand the Brenton Strange pick at all, um, and that's one that they're literally just going to light it on fire. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what, what that was going to do. Right. They need to take a big heaping swing on who they think the next Nico Collins is or, you know, even Jalen Hyatt, even Tucker Craft is a big physical tight end that I know that was out there in third round. So, I mean, he was out there. So I don't know. It's just, yeah, one or two pieces away and maybe we'll have a, a different vantage point as we go through here. Yeah. So I already mentioned it, uh, Jordan, what teams are on the docket this week? Uh, we go uh, in the courtroom uh, for our defense and prosecution of these non-playoff teams on Dynasty Think Tank. You can find those at patreon.com slash Dynasty Think Tank. That really put me in a blender, making me defend Carolina. So that's that's fun. It's a good a good listen. Uh, we also discussed uh, Minnesota. Uh, we discussed some stuff with Denver as well. Um yeah, and we've discussed eight teams so far. So we're get, we're keep getting more and more. Um, and there'll be four a week that come out, right? Some good content, some deeper stuff, right? We touch on, uh, you know, team building stuff as well as you know, dynasty impact, right? I think you can draw a lot looking at these teams. I think you can draw a lot of, um, lessons in terms of how we should build dynasty teams as well. 
Thanks for listening to Dynasty Think Tank. You can follow us on Twitter at Chad Parsons NFL, at McNamara Dynasty. We have our own Dynasty content channels. That's at analyticsofdynasty.com and at utdynasty.com. As always, in life, as well as with your Dynasty teams, unlock your ceiling and seek elite results.